have to ask the question, so why a resurrection? I, I mean, if you kind of just think about it simply, why did Jesus have to raise from the dead? Or did he have to raise from the dead? Is this kind of just God showing off, like the work's already done, and this is just kind of candy on top of everything, the icing on top of the cake? I hope that what you will receive and understand by the time that we're finished today is that the resurrection, what we celebrate today, is at the center of Christianity. If you do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you don't believe that Jesus was physically dead, that he was killed, that, that he was, lived a perfect, sinless life, and that he physically was killed and put into a grave for three days, and then God raised him back to life, if you don't believe in that, you don't believe in the Christian message. You cannot believe what the Bible teaches if you don't believe in a resurrection. The, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was sufficient for all humanity to be saved, but the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is only as effective as it is believed and accepted. Let me restate that. Let me, let me say that again so you can hear that and think through that. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was sufficient for all of humanity to be saved. But the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is only as effective, it's only as good as it is believed and, say, and, and accepted and applied. Let me give you an analogy. Um, so you can offer life-giving medicine to someone who's dying, right? If you could say there's a magic pill out there and there's somebody who's dying... And you can say, here's this pill. You take this pill. This will save your life. You will not die. Now listen, if that person who is ill says, I'm good, they're going to die, right? Is it that the medicine is bad? The medicine isn't bad. The medicine is effective. It's that the pill was not accepted, right? But rather, if the person accepts that pill, accepts that medicine, and they live. That's the message of the cross. If you truly accept the cross, your sins are covered for. Because Jesus paid that penalty for you. That's what the cross is all about. That excruciating, horrific pain that he went through in our place atoned. It covered for our sins, but it only covered for our sins if we accept him. Now listen, if you reject him, you say, no, no, I'm good. You've got to pay that penalty yourself. You've got to live out the consequence of death and sin for yourself, and that's where, where hell comes in. Death doesn't come to the person who was offered the pill because the medicine or the pill wasn't any good. Death comes because the person didn't accept the medicine. So I want to say this about last week's message, just kind of to introduce this into today's time. The work of the cross accomplished our redemption and forgiveness of sins, of those who accept God's gift to us. Now listen, I want you to just kind of think through and look at that statement just for a second because I'm going to share with you a couple things today, a couple what-ifs today that might sound like they compete against that statement. 
or that they war against that statement, and they don't. This is a true statement. The work of the cross accomplished our redemption and forgiveness of our sins, but it's only effective for those of us who accept God's free gift of salvation. So because of the cross, Jesus physically died. He was placed in a rich man's tomb. Let me kind of show you what a rich man's tomb, actually, uh, some of you who were in Israel with me about a month or so ago, we, we were driving on the road, and you might remember that uh, there was a tomb, a rich man's tomb along the side of the road. We stopped, we took some pictures of it. This is that picture. This is a wealthy man's tomb. Poor folks were were buried in other types of tombs, but this is a wealthy man's tomb, and I want you to have this image into your mind because the stone that is talked about in the Gospels that was rolled away, that's what, that's what Mary and that's what the disciples would have seen. There's a channel that runs in front of that tomb that kind of helps them to guide that stone back and forth. And that resurrection morning, that first Easter morning, they would have went there and this is what they would have seen. Now, this isn't the tomb, but this is, helps us to have that image in our mind. We read it during our uh, sunrise service. This tomb was purchased by Joseph of Arimathea, and <clears throat> it was a tomb that was cut out of rock. Nobody had ever been laid into it before. Jesus was the, the first one. So if Jesus is placed there, if the death has happened, right, he we, we talked about during our sunrise service, there were clear medical evidences that Jesus physically died and he was placed into this tomb. The question is, what now? If you read the Gospels, you see that the disciples, they were pretty bummed. So were all of the, the people who followed Jesus. They thought that the time had, had, had just been over with. They still didn't get and understand the idea of the resurrection. So let me ask you a question. What if... What if the story of Jesus ended at the cross? Another way, what if there wasn't a resurrection? You, you know what I'm saying? Think about this. If there was no resurrection, what are the implications? What, what if Jesus died, that excruciating death on the cross, and that was it? Game over, end of story, would there be Christianity? Would you and I be assembling here together today? What would that reveal about God? What would it reveal about Jesus? What that, would that mean about God? What would that mean about this thing that we call the Bible? Because that question really is central to all of these issues. What you believe about the Bible is contingent upon what you believe about the resurrection. What you believe about Jesus is contingent upon what you believe about the resurrection. What you believe about God is contingent what you believe about the resurrection. What you think about this world and how you think through this world is contingent upon, directly tied to, how you think about the resurrection. Well, here's just a couple things. Um, <clears throat> it would mean the direct implication of a, a no resurrection would mean that God was not who he said that he was. You see, there's all kinds of prophecies throughout the Old Testament that prophesy specifically about Jesus' life. Jesus fulfilled over 400 Old Testament prophecies during his lifetime, and there's many more yet being fulfilled, right? Uh, so, so if the cross was the end, game, uh, was, was the end of everything, game over, there would be a lot of prophecies that would yet be unfulfilled. And it would mean that God is really not who he said he is. 
Uh, uh, here's some, something else. <clears throat> if I could get it, my clicker to click. There we go. It would mean that Jesus was not who he claimed to be. Jesus claimed to be God. That's what put him on the cross. Jesus claimed to be the son of the living God, and more than that, he claimed to be God himself. And, And if Jesus was not God himself, then what Jesus, the testimony that Jesus said about himself would be untrue. If there was no resurrection, then you can't take anything that Jesus says as true. In fact, at the end of the day, you have to decide if Jesus was a liar, because a liar would be somebody who knew something to be untrue. If Jesus said that, you know what, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to come back to life on the third day, is he just making that up? Okay, a lunatic, he could have been a lunatic, like he could have been somebody who really believed that he was going to die and come back to life on the third day, right? We call those, we institutionalize those kind of people, right? So he could have been kind of one of those wacky guys that just needed a straitjacket. Or at the end of the day, the only other option is that he had to be Lord. He had to really be who he claimed to be. So either he's a, a, a liar, or he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. If the resurrection did not take place, then he had to be either a liar or a lunatic. He had to be one of those three things. Here's something else. If there was no resurrection, then God was not pleased with Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. This is where we're going to begin for today. Think about this. Did Jesus, was, was Jesus resurrected, according to the scriptures, by his own power? Not by his own power. What did the scriptures say? The scripture says that he was resurrected by the power of God the Father. When Jesus, think about this, when Jesus hung on the cross, do you guys remember the story? At the very last thing, we read it here this morning for sunrise service, Jesus said, it is what? Finished. His work is done. And he believes by faith and by knowing because he's fully God, that he submits himself to the, the will of God the Father. He's finished his part of the work. Now, The resurrection, is it up to Jesus? No, because he said it is finished. The resurrection is up to God the Father. Listen, why would God the Father resurrect Jesus? Think about that. Why would God the Father resurrect Jesus? Only. God the Father would only resurrect Jesus if his sacrifice was sufficient. Right? If Jesus had lived a life that was even had the, the smallest smidget of sin in it, his sacrifice wouldn't have been sufficient. His sacrifice wouldn't have been effective. The only reason that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was effective and sufficient is because of how he lived. He fulfilled the law. Do you remember at times Jesus said, I came not to abolish the law, but to, remember what he said? I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. The law was fulfilled. The moment that Jesus says it is finished, he bows his head and he dies. The rest 
yeah, we can say it's history, but the rest is really up to God the Father. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's affirmation, his blessing that Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient to atone, to cover for all of our sins. His sacrifice was not just effective so it could cover my sins or your sins, but the sins of the whole world. That is why God resurrects him. God the Father resurrects him on the third day. says, you know what? You weren't deserving to die, but you died in their place. And so I'm going to have as a testimony to all of humanity that yours is the right sacrifice. I'm going to resurrect you. By the way, that fulfills prophecy again. It's only because of Jesus' sacrifice that God was pleased. Listen, the implication of this stuff is this. If there is no resurrection, our sins can't be forgiven. If there was no resurrection, if the cross was it, done. It's finished. You and I have no hope. We could not be forgiven of our sins. It's only because of Jesus' sacrifice was pleasing to God that Jesus is able to forgive us of our sins. That's why, by the way, that when we pray, we pray to Jesus. Have you ever wondered, why do I pray to Jesus? Because according to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, Jesus is now our high priest. He is the one who at this very moment, right now, he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And when you and I sin, and then we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins, he looks to God the Father and he says, my blood covered their sins. Not that God needs reminded, but in essence, That is how this whole forgiveness order works. We are forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ who then reminds God the Father, as it were, that my blood covers them. And it's because of the resurrection that you and I have a high priest. It's it's because of those things that when you and I pray, we can pray with confidence that God the Father hears us because Jesus made us holy and that we're able to approach the throne of grace because of Jesus Christ, because of the resurrection, more specifically. Let me give you a couple things that I think every, several fundamental things that every Christian ought to know about the resurrection. Jesus paid for our sins on the cross, but we're declared righteous through the resurrection. Jesus paid for our sins on the cross, but we're declared righteous through the resurrection. If it were not for the resurrection, you and I could not approach the throne of grace. If it weren't for the resurrection, the forgiveness of our sins wouldn't be complete. According to Romans chapter 4, Verses 22 to 25, this is what it says in the English Standard Version. That is why his faith was counted for him as righteousness, speaking about Abraham. 
But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Raised. Do you see that? Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote specifically there in the book of Romans that he was raised to the dead for our justification so that we would be declared righteous. Without the resurrection, you and I cannot be declared righteous before God. Yeah, we could say our sins are forgiven, but that doesn't put us in a righteous state. That puts us at a state of the beginning of forgiveness. Let me tell you something else I think every Christian ought to know about the resurrection. Eternal life comes to the Christian not because of the cross. Eternal life comes to the Christian not because of the cross, but because of the resurrection. The resurrection is what gives us, what enables us, what gives us eternal life. The cross doesn't give us eternal life. But you say, wait a second. You said that the cross is the forgiveness of sins. Yep. What does forgiveness of sins have to do with eternal life? It's the resurrection that has to deal with eternal life. According to Philippians chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, once again in the English Standard Version, this is how it reads. And be found in him, not that, that saying that we should be found in him, not having a righteousness of, of my own or of our own that comes from the law, because no good works that we do come from, uh, or no uh, good works that we do make us righteous, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and I may share, listen to this, Christians that I may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and that by all means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Our experience as a Christ follower, according to the scriptures, is that we should pray that we experience the sufferings, that we participate in the sufferings of Jesus. Now you're like, that's a sick prayer. I, I mean, how many of us pray... Lord, let it rain on me. Let all those bad things come my way. That's not what this is saying. But what it is saying is that when these things come, we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be saying, oh God, oh my goodness, will you please remove all these crazy things from my life? And as uh, particularly it's bred into us as Americans that we, we want comfort we want luxury, and you know, uh, as humans, I think that that's just na human nature. We don't want to suffer. But there's some out there that's preach wrongly, falsely preaching that God wants your greatest comfort, God wants your greatest luxury for you, and He wants it for you now. That's a bunch of bunk. You'll find that nowhere in the scriptures. In fact, according to what Paul wrote to the Philippian church here, is that we're to participate, that we're to share in his suffering. That we need to become like him in his death. And if any, by any means possible, that we would attain to the resurrection of life. The resurrection comes to us, eternal life comes to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But that only comes, by the way, after we go the rest of the journey with Jesus. 
This also means another thing that every Christian needs to know about the resurrection is God completed our salvation through the resurrection. Jesus started it from the moment that he was born, lived this perfect, sinless life, taught his disciples, and changed the world, by the way, through 12 unlikely people. And in the midst of it, Jesus, he's tormented. And then he, he's tortured unjustly. Have you ever been suffering and you're like, dude, I totally don't deserve to be going through what I'm going through? Welcome to sharing in Jesus' sufferings. There's times that we don't deserve to go through the things that we go through, but that's life. And we are to do it in the way that Jesus has taught us to. So Jesus suffers all this unrighteously, but God finishes that work of salvation. God the Father says, you know what? That sacrifice on the cross was completely sufficient and effective. And by my power, the power of God the Father, I will resurrect him on the third day. I will fulfill scripture and I will show everybody that this is the one that they're to follow. How do we know that we're to believe Jesus because God shows how much we are to, to believe him and it proves Jesus' divinity by the fact that God resurrected him from the dead. And as a result of this, here's what I, I talked about during our sunrise service. I mentioned it just quickly this morning. Jesus became the first fruits of many. Yeah, we call this, and we've called it for, for centuries, really since about um, 325 to 340 A.D., we've called this celebration in the Christian church, we've called it, what do we call it today? We call it Easter. That, that has nothing to do with what the Bible says. Easter is, by the way, a festival that was celebrated in the early centuries, um, in the early first, second, and third centuries of a worship of a pagan goddess, and her name was Ishtar. And by the way, do you know the symbol for Ishtar? Guess, a little bunny. And do you, do you, know, do you know how they also worshipped Ishtar? They went and hid little eggs, and they dressed up in these bright little colors. And so the celebrations that you and I have just kind of adopted, and we've always had them, maybe we just didn't know why we've had them, that's why we've had them. It has nothing to do with what the Bible says. You see, what happened is, is that the early Catholic Church said, you know what, we want to Christianize the Roman world, and so the, uh, the, most of the Roman world is worshiping Ishtar, so I've got a brilliant idea. We'll just combine these two together, smack them together, we'll call it Easter, and then we'll talk about the celebration or the resurrection of Jesus. And that's how they did it in the early third, fourth, fifth centuries. And you and I have been handed down all these customs. It has nothing to do with what the Bible says about Jesus' resurrection. In fact, I think the story of what the Bible has to teach us about the resurrection is so much more beautiful. You see, Jesus... Was, was crucified on Passover. In fact, that's the next little slide. Jesus was crucified 
in the time of Passover, Passover, by the way, for the Jewish people is a, is a Jewish festival. It still takes place today. Um, it, uh, it was just this past week, actually, and it just happened to be this past week. I believe it was Tuesday. If you go all the way back to Leviticus 23, you'll see that God has a calendar in which he seems to operate on. He's always seemed to operate on it. In fact, we're going to talk about it and see it even more during this whole series. Jesus was crucified during Passover, and what happened during Passover is that there was this lamb that was being sacrificed, and this, what it was is it was, a, it was a worship of God, a sin sacrifice really to God, so that death might pass over him. It goes all the way back to, do you remember the story of the Exodus, of the Israelites leaving Egypt? Remember the story of the ten plagues and Pharaoh and all that kind of stuff? That's what that's all about. The tenth plague was the death of the, of the firstborn, remember that? And, and then what God commanded the Israelites to do, that last moment of when they were in Egypt, is to, to sacrifice a lamb. And he had a very specific way. And by the way, the way in which the lambs were prepared, not a bone in their body could be broken. It had, broken. It had to be a pure, spotless lamb. It had to be a lamb that was without any blemish at, at all. The, the best of the best. And, and when they skewered the lambs and when they roasted the lambs, it's interesting because the lambs were skewered in such a way that the ancient Israelites formed a cross. And perhaps that's a symbolism and a foreshadowing of what Jesus was to go, go through. Have you ever heard someone say, Jesus is the Lamb of God? Jesus is our Passover Lamb. Why? Because he was crucified on Passover. He was God's pure, spotless Lamb. He was a Lamb that was without blemish. He was a Lamb that was sinless. And he was crucified as a sin offering for who? For you and I. And so on Passover, Jesus was crucified. The same time, by the way, that he was on the cross was the same time that all the other lambs throughout all of Israel were being sacrificed. Why was Jesus only on the cross a few hours? Because he needed to die the same time that all the other lambs were dying to truly be our Passover lamb. Now here, it doesn't end yet. To fulfill prophecy... There's this Jewish festival that happens three days later, and it's called the Festival of First Fruits. By the way, what would be the th only thing that would keep people who love Jesus so much out of the tomb for a period of three days? There were Jewish holidays in between. That was the only way that people who loved and passionately loved Jesus would have been staying out of that tomb. Then on the third day, which we know for sure was a Sunday, there's this, this Jewish festival that you could do work because on a Jewish holiday, you can't do any work. So on this third day, this third day was a special Jewish festival. You could do work during this Jew Jewish festival, and it's called the Festival of First Fruits. And what happened, their, their climate and their, their farming, their agriculture is a little bit ahead time-wise of ours. And so a little boy would bring to the high priest, he would bring just a little sheaf of wheat and it wasn't very tall, but he'd bring it, and, and the uh, high priest would take this sheaf of wheat from this little boy very early in the morning. By the way, the same time that Marys were headed to the tomb, the little boy would have been going and getting this sheaf of wheat to bring to the high priest. And he takes it, and he dips it into water, and he does it. It's called a sprinkle offering, and he sprinkles it over the congregation. In essence, the paraphrase of it is, is this. If this seed, which was dead and came, if this seed was dead and came back to life, so will all the rest. And that's why they call it first fruits. 
Jesus was our first fruits because he was the seed that was dead, came back to life, and as the high priest says, so will all the rest. That's why Jesus is our first fruits. The Jewish festival, what Easter is really all about, is the first fruits because Jesus was resurrected, so are we. Let me kind of teach that to you right from the scriptures. If you have your Bible with you, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 23. So Jesus died on Passover, resurrected on first fruits. Now look at what the Apostle Paul has to teach us. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. And your faith, by the way, is in vain. Verse 15, we are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified about God and that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, they've all perished. If in Christ we have hope, in this, holy, in, in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Do you get that? If there is no resurrection, you and I are the most duped people in all of history. We're the most deceived. We're, we're to be pitied above everybody on the planet because we live our lives or should live our lives based on what Jesus teaches. And if what God has, has, has showed us through the resurrection, if that's not true, you and I, our faith, it's worthless. We're pretending. We're trying to be good moral people. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The, what's it say? First fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Why does Paul say first fruits? Because Jesus was resurrected on first fruits, and because Jesus is our first fruits. He was the seed that was dead and died and, and raised again, and as a result, all of the rest come back to life. For as by a man came death in Adam, by a man uh, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, because of the sin of Adam, so in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Do you see that? If there is no resurrection, we're to be pitied more than all of creation. You and I are some pretty silly, goofy people. And what we believe is pretty silly, goofy, and really at the end of the day, worthless. You and I, we give our tithes, and we give of our time, and we do all these things. And all these things, if there is no resurrection, it's useless. It's, it's worthless if there is no resurrection. But, as Paul says in verse 20, the fact that Christ has been raised from the dead, the fact is Christ has been raised from the dead. 
So let me kind of wrap a few things together in a nice little bow. Why a resurrection? That's really the question that we've been asking. Why a resurrection? Christians have victory over sin and death because of the resurrection. Do you hear that? Christians have victory. We have victory over sin because of the cross. And we have victory over death. That's why we can say, look at death and say at the end for a Christian funeral, and we can say, where is your sting? Where's your victory? You have none. Because of the resurrection. By the way, we have forgiveness because of the resurrection. If Jesus was not resurrected by the power of God the Father, then His sacrifice was insufficient for us. Do you hear that? His sacrifice wasn't worth it at all. And God wasn't pleased with His sacrifice on the cross. If there is no resurrection, there is no forgiveness for us. And if there is no forgiveness for us, then we just don't have any hope at all. Christians, by the way, is we're going to learn through the rest of this series. So let me invite you to come and to share your time with us and learn more about what this resurrection has started. Christians have many gifts because of the resurrection. We're going to talk about next week the ascension. Why is it the ascension is necessary, a crucial part of God's plan? Without the ascension, we don't get all kinds of things. We don't get the gift of the Holy Spirit. We don't get our spiritual gifts. We don't continue to experience forgiveness in the way that, that Jesus promised that we would forgive, uh, experience forgiveness. We don't get to experience the promises of God as God foretold in the Old Testament. Do you see how these things come together? If we didn't experience the resurrection, then you and I don't have the Holy Spirit living in us. If you and I, if the resurrection wasn't there, then we don't have forgiveness of sins. If we don't have the resurrection, we don't experience spiritual gifts which God has given to us to equip the whole body to glorify Him and so that God might draw more glory throughout the community as His church grows and expands. If we don't see the resurrection, we don't get all kinds of gifts. The resurrection is much uh, or more than just about Jesus coming back to life and leaving that grave. The resurrection is what makes Christianity. Let me give you a couple take-homes. Last two thoughts. So at the end of the day, here comes the practical question where the rubber hits the road. Have you been resurrected to life? You see, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. The most beautiful children that we have, my kids, I think they're pretty adorable. doesn't take very much for Taylor to, to melt my heart or Evan. Oh, my goodness, Evan's just the cutest little thing. And in the midst of all this, they're becoming little monsters at times. They're filled with sin. You, you know what I'm saying? The most adorable thing, it's, they're filled with, they're wicked to the very core. <laughs> Someone said, <laughs> that says a lot of things about PKs, right, Snuff? They're, they're wicked. Why? Not because they've chosen to be wicked, but because sin is part of their nature. Here's the question. There has to come a moment in our life to where we have to say, I accept Jesus' gift as a sacrifice on the cross, and Jesus gives us life. And according to what Jesus says, that life is life abundantly. 
So the question that I want to encourage you to ask is, have you been resurrected to life? The way that you're resurrected to life is by not only confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus is Lord, but then living like it. You must fulfill what God has taught within the scriptures. Here's the second thing. Are you living the resurrected life? How, have you ever been around folks, by the way? I know you have. Been around folks who proclaim to be Christians and you look at their life and you're like, that's what the Bible reflects? Cool. If, if we are to truly following Jesus, one of the measuring sticks that you can use to ask yourself, am I really a Jesus follower? Am I really what we call a Christian? You know one of the measuring sticks, one of the barometers you can use? Do you have a deep internal desire to obey God and to know his word more? If you don't have that desire, let, let me just caution you. Let me throw something out there. You may not be following Jesus. So the question comes as a result of the resurrection. Are you following Jesus? Are you living and experience the resurrected life? And are you living like it? Will you choose to live for him all the days of your life so that you, according to the scriptures, may dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Listen, the following Christ comes at a high cost, doesn't it? I mean, as we learn about these sufferings and how Christians should suffer and how a Christian should participate in Jesus' death, that doesn't sound very attractive, does it? But you know what it is? It's the excruciating life of the Christian because our Christian life is born out of the cross. Let me encourage you, let me invite you back, just personally, to come back and follow us next week and see exactly why the next step in what Jesus does is so crucial. And then the following step to what God does in sending his Holy Spirit is so crucial to living out and understanding the Christian life. I, I promise you, my promise to you is this, is that if we study the scriptures together and if we learn these things together, you're going to learn the Christian life perhaps more than what you ever knew before. So let me invite you to come back and share that time with us next week. Let me pray and invite the worship team to come. <clears throat> if you've never made that decision, if you've never come to that place in your life to where you're saying, you know what, I think I'm getting this a little bit more. I think I probably need to follow Jesus more. I, I think that I need to, that God is speaking to me and that I need to reorient my life based upon what God is telling me to do. Maybe let some things go and not do some things that I've been doing that I know I shouldn't be doing. Now's that time. Let today be the day that you say, as for me and my house, according to what Joshua said, we're going to follow the Lord.